All right, thank you, worship team. My name's Eric. I am a pastor at Alpine Church. In fact, the lead pastor at our Riverdale location, and I am glad to be here with you guys today. We are in the book of Mark. We've been there since the first of the year. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, uh, we've got free Bibles all throughout the building. If you need one or pull it up on your phone, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, and we're going to be talking about Jesus being rejected. Now, we've seen this several times if you've been with us that Jesus has been rejected, but the intensity of it is being ramped up. Uh, He comes and starts his ministry. That's where we've been at in the book of Mark. He starts his ministry um, in, in Israel, around Jerusalem, but actually near his hometown in Capernaum, around the Sea of Galilee. And as he started his ministry, very few believe in him and follow him, but many want to see him perform miracles. They want to come see what he's all about. People are just, you know, uh, maybe skeptical, but they want to come um, and be a part of the, the circus of crowd that's following Jesus, thousands of people. But then you've got the religious leaders that are rejecting him. And before we get into that, though, I want to bring it to the personal level and ask you this question. Have you ever been or felt rejected. I mean, I'll tell you a little bit of a story about me as I'm from um, Hooper, Utah, born and raised there. And it seemed like growing up, I was definitely the only kid on the block who wasn't with the major religion at the time. I was, my, my parents were non-denominational Christian. My parents also had an alcohol problem. My dad also smoked, and every once in a while, he liked to mow the lawn while drinking and smoking on Sundays, you know, which gave us this reputation in our, our, uh, our, our block that uh, didn't fit in with everyone, right? And, and maybe, maybe we were like the only Christians in the entire town. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you felt that way before. But so as a result of that, along with my family's sin and uh, maybe even, you know, some of my own actions, uh, I wasn't the most popular kid growing up. I felt rejected by families around me and friends. I still had friends and stuff, but I wasn't the first pick. You know, I wasn't the first pick when we were on the field and, you know, uh, um, it was time to play sports or something like that. I wasn't uh, the first pick for the friends to hang out with. It was usually if other friends couldn't hang out with you know, I had the lenient parents, so I, I was ready to hang whenever, you know, but um, I felt rejected often growing up. Um, that continued in my life. In fact, I'm in a season in life right now where I'm trying to uh, evaluate and look back on some of why I have some character flaws that I have. Why do I, why do I have insecurities and things like this? And I think it stems back to a lot of rejection that has happened in my life. Um, and, you know, a lot of it uh, is, is a result of my own actions, of me being a jerk, me being a sinner, um, me uh, continuing in this cycle of self-medicating to get over childhood traumas that I had. And, and because of my self-medication and addiction, you know, it just was a continuous cycle of me proving how messed up I was. And, uh, and so I, I, I asked that question for you. Maybe yours isn't the same story as mine, but I'm willing to bet since you're here on Sunday, 
uh, at this church that you've probably felt rejected at some point in your life because of your upbringing, your family, or your beliefs, and I want you to know that we're in good company because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has been rejected in such a painful way by his own people, by his own family, and we get to see how he reacts to that and what he thinks uh, is, is most important in this. And so as we look at Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1, I want to get into this story. It says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. So Jesus is invited at his hometown synagogue. Now, this doesn't normally happen. Uh, you would have to be considered a teacher or a rabbi, and, and they knew that he had a following. They knew that he was a teacher. They knew he had things to say, and so uh, maybe, you know, the perception was, is Jesus going to come to his hometown, and, and they watched him and his family grow up, as it says, and he's going to preach, and people are going to be amazed, and certainly some were, but most were offended because they doubted him. They doubted who he was. Why? Because he was just ordinary Jesus to them, right? It says he was a carpenter. They knew his background. They knew his history. They knew his family. Now, it's not a bad thing to be a carpenter, by the way. You know, in, in the Jewish uh, culture and tradition, it was good to work with your hands. That was a very respectable, noble, honorable, honorable role to have among many other different roles. But what they're saying is he's just, just like one of us. What makes this guy special? What makes this guy think that, you know, he didn't have all the training that the Pharisees had and the teachers of the religious law? Like, where does this guy get this power? Who does this guy think he is? We watched him grow up. And then the next part of it says, he's the son of Mary. Now, you might just skip past that because many people know that Jesus was born, I mean, even 2,000 years later, many non-believing people know the story of Christmas, that Jesus was born to Mary, who was a virgin, but she was betrothed or engaged to Joseph at the time, and she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and, and this is how Jesus came about to be born. But in the Jewish culture, it was what the respectable thing to do, the normal thing to do, was to refer to a son by their father. It should have been Jesus, the son of Joseph. You know, you go and read in the Bible, and it'll always say, father of so-and-so, father of so-and-so, and it is always like the son of a father. Uh, the father was always named in the lineage, but in here, I, I think we can sense an implied tone of there was... There was a, a black mark on the family of Jesus ever since that incident happened. When, when, when Mary got pregnant and Joseph and her weren't married yet, um, they would have considered Jesus. What they're saying is that he's the illegitimate child of, of Joseph and Mary. 
That's what they're saying when it says the son of Mary. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary. And we know that it's been talked about all around town about some of the things and the, the, the sin or the supposed sin. Now, maybe you can relate to that. As I said, I can relate to that. I mean, you know, as my, I don't want to make fun of my dad at all or anything, but it, it was, as I said, about mowing the lawn. <laughs> there was one time when he actually went into a ditch um, when he was mowing the lawn on a Sunday, having maybe a few too many beers or whatever. But there were probably all kinds of rumors about me and my family, especially when I went on to, you know, the, the addiction side of my life and struggling with sin, probably all kinds of rumors. I thought about it um, as I was getting up to preach last service. I was, I was thinking, I wonder if I went and planted a church in, in Hooper how many skeptical people, like, would be there, you know? Like, would they show up and be like, what's, what's this guy got to say? He has no, he didn't do what we did. He didn't grow up in a, a holy life. He didn't make all the right decisions. He doesn't have the education, the background, and the prestige, and, and the knowledge that we have. Why should we listen to this guy? And I'm sure I'd probably be rejected. And people do know what I do. Um, my family still lives down there, and I'm sure that they think that, I'm crazy, and they probably think Christians are crazy, and Christianity is crazy that they would allow somebody like me to lead this organization or, or teach on Sundays, and that's really what's going on here. The things that were happening 2,000 years ago with Jesus being rejected, it's the same thing today. He's still being rejected because people don't know who he is. In fact, I want to show you exactly what he said um, Luke gives us a fuller version of this story in the book of Luke, what he was preaching about. Here's what he said. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he opens up a scroll of their scriptures, the Old Testament that had been written several hundred years before this time period, and he points this out. He reads this and he says later after that, he says, this scripture is being fulfilled today. And they're deeply offended that. Why? Because he's saying he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one who has come to set them free from all of their bondage and their captivity and ultimately their sin and their slavery to sin. And some of the things that he does, like restoring the sight of the blind and um, you know, coming and proclaiming good news to the poor, those are all signs of his coming. And Jesus was doing miracles to prove that he is this guy. He is the Messiah, and yet... They don't get it. They don't understand it. Why? Because Jesus was too ordinary to them. They'd seen him grow up, right? And how they couldn't fathom that, that this Messiah would come from such lowly beginnings. Think about the Christmas story for a moment. Jesus came in a manger. And we always, like, you know, every Christmas, you know, dress up this really nice clean box with hay coming out of it or whatever. But realize that that is like a, a, an animal's feeding trough, okay? 
How disgusting this would have been. There was no room for him in the inn. Nobody would let them come and to, so that she could give birth. So she had to do it in a, in a stable. And then when he was born, he was placed in an animal feeding trough. I have a dog at home. And his dog bowl is so disgusting. Why? Because not only does he eat out of it, but I think there's some rabid cat that lives in our, our, our yard that eats out of it, and then there are birds, and I find some dead mice around there every once in a while. When I go out to ever have to touch that bowl, I'm like this with my hand under my shirt, like trying to get it, you know, like because it's so disgusting. And that's what our Savior, God in the flesh, the second member of the Trinity, who is fully God, came down to heaven and was born as a man, and they don't get that they're talking to, that God has graced them right here in this synagogue. They've rejected him. They don't want to believe that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And you know what? There's a lot of religions that don't believe that even now, that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. But here's what Colossians 1 says about him. This is Paul later writes a letter and he's explaining Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. And for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. This is an important man, in fact, the most important person in human history. But because of the depraved human heart, they want to reject it. People want God their way. They wanted him to do what they wanted to do. That is still the reason why people reject God. Because we look out at the world, and there's still evil going on, and our circumstances are still not the greatest. We ourselves have family problems, family issues, we've prayed, we've considered, we've dropped to our knees, we've, we've asked, God, would you do something about it? And when he doesn't do things our way, we don't believe. Yet, this is God in the flesh, who not only came down to the earth, but came down to prove who he was and take care of our biggest problem, which is sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and he came and he Ultimately, his life and Mark and every other gospel writer tells us that he went to a cross innocent. He was without sin. They didn't understand that he, they, they had the story wrong about Jesus. He was without sin. He was the sinless sacrifice that grew up to die for you and me on the cross. That's why Jesus came. But they reject him. And many people still reject him. And as the story goes on, then we see what happens as a result of, of rejection, rejecting Jesus. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown, among his relatives, and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles except them, among them, except to the place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Uh, that last sentence is interesting to me because Jesus is God in the flesh and yet he still, another translation says he marvels at their lack of faith. He marvels at their unbelief. Like, 
I am here, right in front of you. I have done these things. There is proof about me. I have come into your very existence in your life, and you still will not acknowledge me as Lord and Savior, King. And so then when we, wa- we wonder, we have this whole thing backwards. It says, because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles. But yet what we do is when we come to God, we say, I'll believe in you if you do some miracles in my life. If you will fix my family problems. If you will fix my financial situation, then I will believe in you. But God calls us to live by faith. And so the prerequisite for miracles is faith. We must trust in the Lord Jesus. That, that is all that he asks for us, from us is faith. Faith to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He did what the Bible says he did for us and that he will continue to bless us and change us into the person he wants us to be. And yes, faith does have works connected to it. He does ask us to do things and and to prove our faith. Faith by itself is really nothing. The Bible says faith without works is dead. So we do prove our faith by what we do, but yet we can't keep asking for miracles and yet not believe that it's actually going to happen. Actually, you know, just recently I got an email from this ministry and they kept bugging me, okay? This ministry was like, please let us know what, what we can pray about you for. And I just kept dodging the email. I'm like, I, I, I got a lot going on and I really hate typing, you know? I really hate typing emails, <laughs> And, and, but eventually she just kept like, per, like the persistent widow asking me what she could pray for. And so I wrote down, I said, okay, please, please pray for uh, spiritual warfare that's going on in my life, for, for struggles, for issues. I was pretty general about it, but she wrote me back a verse and she said, I just really feel like you need to hear this verse. And it, and it was the verse about, you know, faith can move mountains. You know, faith, faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. And then the end, of the end of the verse says, believe that you have received this from God and it will happen. And, and lately I've been praying, remembering that this person sent me this verse, like this has to be from the Lord, like answering some of my prayers. Because sometimes I pray and I'm like, God, why don't you do anything? And, and I'm praying Lord, that you would do a miracle in my life. And I, I struggle with the idea of saying that I believe that it's going to happen. Why? Because our human nature is to constantly look at how life has always gone and say, yeah, God doesn't always answer my prayers. And, and he's allowed me to go through a lot of pain in my life. And so why would I say without a doubt that God's going to answer this prayer? Um, And that's just how we are. But yet if we want miracles to happen in our life, the prerequisite to those miracles is faith. In the the exegetical commentary um, that I was using to prepare for this, it says, when faith is the prerequisite for spiritual blessings, there can be no miracles without it. The unbelief in Nazareth stands in stark contrast to the previous episode where the faith of the sick woman 
And, and Jairus' faith resulted in healing in new life. There was a woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years last week that we talked about, and Jairus, the synagogue leader's daughter. They had enough faith to seek Jesus out, and, and not, in, not in hiding, but no matter what would happen because of their faith. The synagogue leader would have been ousted from his society as an outcast and, and thought of as a heretic because he was claiming and believing that Jesus was the Messiah. He had the power to heal. And this woman traveled and she'd spent all her money and tried everything and she was at her last straw. And she sought Jesus out just to touch his garment. This is the type of faith we need if we want to see miracles. I mean, even those of us who think we don't reject Jesus, in our doubt, we're rejecting him as Christians when we don't believe he can do or perform miracles in our lives, or we don't think he's as powerful, or we don't think he's good. We just literally sometimes think, well, maybe, maybe you just don't care about my situation. But I would bring us back to this, this story of, of faith. He couldn't do miracles. Now, it doesn't mean that he physically couldn't. He's God in the flesh who could do anything. But he chooses not to do miracles when there's little faith. And here's how they reacted. In Luke, it tells us, when they heard these things, all... All in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up, drove him out of the town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. They wanted to kill Jesus. Why Jesus went on in the sermon and he talked about the faith of Gentiles. He talked about how there were Gentiles in the Old Testament that God saved over Jewish people. The Gentiles, if you didn't know, were uh, not in the family of God. They were the outsiders. They were the rejects. They were the outcasts that didn't actually fit in the family of faith. And yet, it's the rejects and the outsiders that eventually come to faith before people in his own family. So, as I said before, I believe many of you are here because you guys have probably been rejects at some point in your life as well. And I, that's why when I come, come to Brigham, I always feel at home because I, because I'm, I'm with all you guys. Um, and so they were, they were offended by what Jesus had to say. And they didn't want anything to do with him. They wanted, they wanted it like Burger King. They wanted it their way. They wanted Jesus to do what they wanted him to do. And he wasn't doing what they wanted. He didn't come to elevate their religion and, and their beliefs and their esteemed leaders. He came to bring about a humble way of salvation, to ultimately die on the cross and be led to the slaughter without actually even defending himself. All this rejection, again, for me, in, in this application, in my mind as I think about it, you know, is, is sometimes when we feel rejected by someone automatically what we do is we get defensive and we fight for our way and we we argue and we get angry we try to get back at people we try to uh withhold love from people because we're offended but yet i think about jesus you know and i think all of us in some way shape or form have been rejecting god for our whole lives and yet he still sought us out. He still loved us enough 
to come and die for us, to sacrifice his life for, for you and me when he died on the cross. Like that love transcended all of, all of the world rejecting Jesus. And yet he didn't, he didn't banish us all from his presence. He gave us a chance and opportunity to come to him in faith, to repent and believe and to trust in him. And that's why we're here today, is for that opportunity, if you haven't done it before, for those of us that have. We, we want to know, like, how do we follow you, Jesus? What do you want us to do? And so as the story continues on, he prepares his disciples for the same type of lifestyle that Jesus is having to go through, to be rejected as well. But yet this message of love, of the gospel, of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ needs to be spread to the ends of the earth because, in, there, in fact, there will be people that reject it. In fact, most people reject it. Most people reject the truth about who Jesus is and what he came to do. But the promise is that there will be some who will come to faith. And in this story, it's his disciples. His disciples came with him to the synagogue, and now the disciples are leaving with him. His small crowd of followers were following him no matter what, by faith, leaving their old lives behind. And they watched their Savior, their Messiah, be rejected. And now Jesus is going to teach them a lesson. He said, then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them, take nothing for your journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not take a change of clothes. Now, first, what I see in this is, is, is the disciples are willing to follow him by faith. And what he's telling them to do is, okay, then. If you're going to be like me and you're going to go share the message like I'm teaching you how to share, then go do this thing by faith. So many of us make excuses on why we don't follow what God has called us to do, to go share the message, to go with him, to go live with him, to, to devote our lives to Jesus Christ. We say, oh, I don't have enough money. I've got to take care of my career first and then I'll... I'll think about joining a church or I'll think about, you know, being involved with God's people. Or uh, I've got problems at home. I got to get those figured out first. Or my kids are so busy. They, you know, have all kinds of games, right? And, and some of them happen on Sundays or whatever it is. And, or I don't want to share my faith with people because I'm going to be rejected. That's a lot of our fear because we hate being rejected, right? Like, we're already looked at as rejects by our family and friends. But mind you, Jesus was, by his, even his own family, we, we learned a couple of chapters ago, they didn't believe in him until he died and rose again. But we're looked at as weirdos, and I think sometimes in our mind, we even think like, yeah, do I, do I believe this enough to stand for my faith? Or do I believe this enough to deal with rejection? to absorb some pain, to be like my Savior, Jesus Christ. There's so many excuses we use to not go share Jesus with others. Why? Because we know most people are going to reject. 
But here's how Jesus says to deal with it. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. Now, that seems harsh, and it actually is. Um, But sometimes it takes a little bit of boldness and passion to help people understand that this is a serious thing. When he says, shake the dust off of your feet, that means they were going from town to town, and, and, and Jewish people of the day thought that Gentiles were unclean, and so anytime they would even go into a city where Gentiles lived that was outside of the, the holy uh, family of God, they would have dirt on their sandals, and they said, these people are so unclean, they don't even want the dirt of their presence to be on them when they go home. And so they'd shake the dust off of them. That was a saying. And Jesus is using it against them now because now he's going to go to the rejects and the Gentiles, all the people that rejected him, the religious leaders who wanted it their way and made up their own religion, rejecting him. He's going to now go to all those people whom the Jews would have shook the dust off their feet. Now he's saying, Shake the dust off your feet when these people don't believe. Like, shake it off. Right? That's even, I don't think, is that a Taylor Swift song? I don't know if uh, God was using her prophetically or whatever. But sometimes when we go share the gospel with our friends, it's not cool. You know? Or we're rejected or we're looked at as crazy and we're the minority in the world. But I want you to know, how many people know that you with God is the majority? No matter if there are billion people, a billions of people in the world, me and God alone is the majority because God is huge. He is bigger than billions of people, bigger than the whole world, bigger than the whole universe that he created. And so we can go with boldness and confidence out to be rejected by people sometimes, to share the good news. And we've got to be serious about it. But Jesus promised us that people would hate us and that we would be the minority. Here's what he says later in Mark 13, as he talks about when the end will come. He says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. John 15, 8, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. John 17, 14, when Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer over his disciples, he's talking to the Father, and he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We don't fit in. We're we're temporary uh, residents in a foreign land, We don't fit in. We must realize that we are going to be rejected, but we need to understand that when we are, we are being just like our Savior, Jesus Christ, and let us be like him and how he dealt with it. And here's what they went on to do. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people and anointing them with oil. And this is such a good story because they're obedient in faith and they do what Jesus says to do and they do the most important thing which is telling people boldly to repent of their sin. Why do we need a savior? We need to be saved from the wrath of God. You see, we're not born as children of God. The Bible says that 
Jesus in, in, in John chapter 1, verse 11, it says, He came to his own, and his own didn't receive him, but to all who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so in order to become a child of God, you must be adopted into the family of God by faith. Human beings are born separated from God. They are headed to wrath and hell and destruction. Even the youngest, cutest sibling or child that you have, you need to understand they are born with a sin nature that they inherited from all humans, starting from Adam and Eve. And as they grow up, I don't have to convince you that they have this sin nature because you know that they struggle to obey, they have pride, and here we all are. Grown children that still struggle with all of these issues, our lack of faith in God, our wanting it our way instead of God's way, and all of that is sin that separates us from God and that the Bible says we deserve death. But thank God that Jesus Christ, even though we've rejected God our entire lives from the day that we were born, He still, the Bible says, came while we were yet sinners Christ came and died for us. And even in our rejection of him, he came to do something for us so that we would eventually accept him. He loved us before we ever loved him. And now he calls us to go and be like him, to go share this message of repent of your sin and turn to God. And you know what? Many of us might be afraid because we think we have family members or friends that's, and we say it would take a miracle for that person to come to faith. Well, let me just tell you as, a, as an example firsthand of what it took for me to come to faith or many people that I know, many of you here, somehow a miracle had to take place in your soul and in your heart to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what I love about this is that it was their faith It was their faith that said that I believe that God's going to save people if I'm just obedient and do what he said to do, and I be like Christ. And you know what happened? It says they cast out many demons and healed many sick people. There were miracles happening. They just left a place where no miracles could happen because their faith was little, and now they go out and miracles are happening because this small group of rejects is actually willing to follow the Lord Jesus and do what he said. So for you and me, that's our call, is to go out into the world, be like Christ, which means a lot of rejection, but also miracles if we'll trust him with it. Let us consider all that our Savior had to go through with being doubted, his mistaken identity. Let us consider why maybe there aren't miracles happening in our life, because maybe we're even rejecting him and we don't know it. We doubt him. We don't think he's powerful enough or good enough sometimes. If we want to start seeing the miracles happen, then let us maybe quit thinking about ourselves so much and worrying about the pain of rejection and go share the truth with the people that we love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you came for Sinners like us. Father, there are people here with the pain of uh, family rejection, of all kinds of different things that's happened in their past, traumas that's happened in our lives, Lord. 
insecurities that we have. And a lot of these things keep us from following you fully. Lord, and by any human power, we cannot get rid of these things, but we need you to come into our hearts, into our minds, and heal us. Heal us, Father, so that we can do your work. Help us to have the faith. Lord, give us a measure of faith to be able to trust you and to follow you, to trust you first for our salvation, that you wiped away all of our sin when you died on the cross for us. Help us to trust that, Lord, and to not bring up the past anymore. But let us look forward to the future of what you can do. Give us the faith in the miracles that you can do as we be obedient and walk in the works and the things that you've called us to do in this life. If there are people here who have not trusted you or don't know you, Father, I pray that the miracle would happen today, that they would trust and believe. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.